Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and as always, thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. It's, it's January 8, 2020. We have a lot to break down, especially in the world of football. Wildcard weekend was insane. My good buddy Ryan Souls comes on to discuss if it is the end of the Patriots dynasty. After they lose to the Titans, the Vikings and Kirk Cousins go into the Superdome and beat the Saints. Seahawks over the Eagles, as well as that crazy Texans-Bills game. We break down the coaching carousel and preview NFL divisional round. My favorite weekend of the football year. And then Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting comes on to talk New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 14, a two-night show that saw a lot of title changes, a lot of insane matches, and could have been quite possibly the best wrestling weekend we've ever seen. That's all on today's show. Ryan Souls and Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, talking football, wildcard weekend in the rear view, getting ready for the divisional round, down to the final eight teams in the NFL. It's Ryan Souls breaking it all down. Ryan, thanks for joining the show. Man, happy to be here. Happy New Year to you, man. Yeah, New Year. It's a new decade. Um, you know, happy biannual. Uh, you know, every two years we get to talk about who the Browns are going to hire as a head coach. <laughs> so we're at that time again. It's good. Uh well, before we before we get into uh, into that and, and the Brown search, it's now basically the only vacancy left. You know, this time of year, going into this weekend, Ryan is really probably my favorite weekend of the year. It's the last time we're going to get you know four games. Like we have four games, which is a solid number. It's not the full slate, but two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Probably mm-hmm. my favorite NFL weekend of the year. I yeah, I would agree a hundred percent because not only is it two on Saturday, two on Sunday, but usually, sometimes you get some duds in there, but usually the games are high quality, and that's the best part about it. Really is, um, you know, and this year especially, with probably with because the Patriots are out, we have some unpredictability in it, some, some different scenarios. You could convince me that at least half, maybe more, can make a serious run all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, but we're going to start, Ryan, with the uh, coaching carousel news. It was a big day as we record this on Tuesday. Two vacancies were filled today. We haven't really discussed a lot of the movement uh, in, in recent memory, but the big the big news today, the biggest hire, I would say, is Matt Rule going to the Panthers. What a coaching trajectory for this guy. Temple to Baylor to now the Carolina Panthers. This is a guy with NFL experience, signs a seven-year, $60 million deal, and I'm going to say I like this hire. I think this is a guy you want coaching your team. I think what he's done every step of the way is take over bad situations and make them better. I, I actually like this hire. I think he's got the personality, and uh, he's got a roster there that I don't think is very far away from contending. You know, it's interesting that this is the first one we talk about because just thinking about it all day, I really didn't know what to think about it, and that's for two reasons. Number one, even though, and I agree 100% in, in terms of going from Temple to Baylor, he's taken programs. I think he had one program start. He went from 1 in 10, I think, to 10 wins in, he, I think, two years. Yeah, Baylor was 1 in 10. And, and we know what happened at Baylor. We don't have to get into all that, but it was not a good situation he walked into from, no, not, from not what the all. program was left at to the scholarships they had taken away and the bull ban and then, you know. I think obviously there's going to be some trepidation with going to the NFL, taking over any job, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily look at him as just a traditional college coach, and maybe that's the era we're in too. 
where these coaches, you know, we're seeing a lot of the college influence in the NFL. So I don't yeah. think it, it, it necessarily is as hard. It's still difficult to coach at any level, but I don't think it's as difficult to make that jump because we're seeing more college concepts at that high level. Yeah, I don't think it's that difficult to make that as difficult to make that jump. But my devil's advocate point would be if you look at college coaches, like the high profile college coaches. So when Chip Kelly was looking to get into the NFL, when Saban was in the NFL and both having, you know, okay stints, not the greatest, not the worst, but they were definitely about square pegs and round holes. They were going to take their system, but it doesn't matter who they had at quarterback. You were going to do the Chip Kelly system or the Nick Saban system, whatever that was. And I think honestly in college, since Chip Kelly, I, and maybe I'm blanking, but I can't remember a coach since Chip Kelly in college with that prominence who went over to the NFL that's done that well we've really seen the craft the offense around your quarterback approach from mm-hmm. young head co- or young coordinators already in the NFL yeah well and you know obviously Carroll was defensive when he made the move older in his mm-hmm. coaching career and I guess we'll have to see what Cliff Kingsbury looks like offensively. They did some things. They need to get better defensively, obviously, and they need to revamp their roster. He was kind of that next wave hire. Mm-hmm. And I just point to him working, uh, I believe, for the Giants for a few years. Rule has that NFL pedigree, so to speak. So he, he's not a stranger to the NFL. He hasn't coached his entire life in college. Um Here's the other thing, Ryan, and I'm looking at the Panthers as a unique situation. Their owner, their their new owner, David Tepper, uh, like a lot of newer owners in the NFL, billionaire that is just starting out owning a franchise. This was his first coaching hire under his team. I think he wanted it to make, you know, and he got rid of a coach that's very good, that's coaching already in the NFL and Ron Rivera. And mm-hmm. I understand things get stale. We can look at, you know, the new coach in Dallas to see why a change of scenery is good for a lot of people after a while. I think he wanted to make this coach his hire. I don't think he wanted to retread. This is just me speculating. I think he wanted to have this unique hire. And I think Rule is a smart football mind that comes with a, a lot of recognition. It, we're not going to know until they play these games. That, that's the beauty of this whole thing. you know. And, and I would be optimistic about this one because I trust what he's done in multiple scenarios that haven't been easy to coach in. And I, and I hear completely what you're saying. I ask you this. This hire, does it lead you more to thinking they're committed to keeping Cam Newton at least for next year? Because running a, a Big 12-style offense, a more college style, could suit Cam Newton's abilities if he's healthy and you're getting him on the cheap for the talent level before the injury when he went 6-2 and two a couple years ago. It's a good point. And obviously this comes down to what Matt Rule wants to do. You know, he's going to be the one that makes this decision. Mm-hmm. I think if Cam's healthy, big if, this is great for him. This is this right. is exactly what would be great for him. And I think there's hardly anybody that I'd want in this situation starting over with Cam than Matt Rule to kind of just be creative and, and figure out ways to, to play to his strengths. But the yeah. injury, I'm call me a pessimist, Ryan, and, and – you know, same with, you know, unfortunately the quarterback for your team. I'm worried about the injuries at this point with Cam. I mean, there's been a lot. Ankle surgery is huge. And what kind of mobility is he going to, is he going to have if he is healthy next year? And I agree with that 100%. But I also think 
that had to have been discussed in the interview as well. That I can see Tepper or whoever else making these decisions saying, hey, who do you see as the quarterback in this process? Or maybe going out and, like you said, he want, you wanted to make this his unique hire. Him thinking, okay, from a logistics perspective, a financial perspective, I get Cam Newton on the cheap. I'm going to look for a coach that suits what I think his skill set is. True. I mean, maybe he said, look, I want Cam Newton unless we can get Tom Brady. I don't know. Right, right, <laughs> so, exactly. right, right. We'll see. But uh, the other hire, and, and that's what I'm going to segue into, Ryan, would you be more confident with this hire or who the Giants hired today? Because that's what I call risk. <laughs> that is absolutely a risk. And I guess the hot term is is not a sexy hire or, or a flashy hire or whatever, but this we're seeing too much now, and I don't. And I'm not ragging on the Browns. I don't know if this is a, a Freddie Kitchen sort of thing, but when does being a positional coach get you to jump a step? Like, well, don't isn't the yeah. natural step the offensive coordinator to see if you can coordinate an entire <laughs> offense? You're then at, yeah. Look at the head coaching opportunity. You're like, absolutely right. I just wanted to add one thing. Now. I don't want to defend any of the kitchen stuff or get into any of that. But he was yeah. a special teams coach, too. So okay. this isn't just a wide receiver coach. I think that part needs to be brought up. It's still a risk. He's still mm-hmm. a guy under 40 uh, who had an offer, a standing offer. Joe Judge did, new Giants coach, to I think had a standing offer to be Mississippi's coach, coach at his alma mater, where he mm-hmm. had been an assistant coach there. Took the Giants coach. I think, I think we would all take the Giants over Mississippi State, just given the fact that this is an opportunity he might not get again, if ever. Ryan, the thing is, they're trying to go outside the box. They think that a special teams coach could be maybe suited to lead a unit, lead a lead a entire team, which maybe it's that mentality of, you know, you run the special teams unit. They want him to be John Harbaugh. I mean, that's the guy that you look at who was the special teams hire. There have been special teams coaches that have been good NFL head coaches, but obviously it's going to be a gamble. Now, is it a gamble the Giants should be taking? That's for, you know, other people, I think, to decide, but... I think that there is some potential here. He comes well-respected. He's coached under both Saban and Belichick. So maybe there's something there. But this is a, this is definitely a gamble, and it's in a city where they're going to let the Giants know about it if he doesn't work out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, like you said, this will be interesting, and it, it's going to be a ride to see where this ends up. Well, you know, the pedigree, like we said, perfect for uh, for him being there. I just don't know if, you know, they did the spin. Gettleman, the Giants GM, who's not liked at all in town, basically said that Rule wasn't even an option. So great spin zone by him to just mm-hmm. pivot when it sounded like Rule wanted nothing to do. Nothing to do with it. With this job. I actually thought, Ryan, you know, we mentioned Rivera to the Redskins, and then it was McCarthy who Jerry Jones signed. Uh, to be his head coach after uh, an, an odd sleepover situation there. But, Ryan, this was not the sexy hire that I think a lot of people thought or, or envisioned Jerry Jones, I should say, making. But it's an efficient, solid coach. It's a guy that's dedicated to football. And uh, I think this, to me, my opinion, was Jerry Jones at this point in his career, at this point in his life, thinking we want to get on track, we want to make this the quote-unquote safe choice. And I think this is actually was a pretty good hire. Yeah, I think it was a really good hire, too. To your point about Jerry Jones, we'll know what his thought process is when the media is in front of his face after games, after a win or a loss, and we'll know you know, what the dynamic is just based on what he says and, and uh, the tenor 
of um, his his attitude. But in terms of the Mike McCarthy hire in general, it's a really good, just solid hire. I think not to say that Jason Garrett was an adult, but I think this is a a more of an adult in the room. I think he'll bring stability and a little more discipline to what they do. Now, it's going to be interesting because Mike McCarthy, in terms of working with quarterbacks, and we're just looking at Green Bay in terms of head coaching jobs, he worked with Brett Favre and then transitioned into Aaron Rodgers. And I'm just curious to see how he shapes his offense around. And like you you and I talked, I've been – a supporter of Dak Prescott this year because there's nothing I can say. I mean, he played well uh, considering where where he was coming and what people were saying about him, myself included, going into this year. He had a, a solid, solid season. Mm-hmm. and But he's not Aaron Rodgers and he's not Brett Favre. Right. So uh, right. I'm, I'm curious to see what he does. Well, let's also be clear. Jerry Jones isn't going to make that outlandish hire of a special teams coach. Uh, the no. college names weren't, you know, Urban Meyer was not going to coach this team. It, it just why, was why not going to happen. Why didn't you think that? Because I don't think he, I think he likes having his name out there. I just don't think that he was serious about becoming an NFL head coach. Oh, I, I really okay. Don't. See, and see, I thought it was ser- super serious. But that's a star, man. I mean, in, in any other co- head coaching job, especially with the health issues he's had, mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying, but you know we're talking jobs like San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Dallas. But is Jerry going to secede any power? Is he going to let him have any control which I think Urban would want? And that's not an outrageous request. A no, lot of these not. head coaches have some power. There's no GM in place. I mean it's Jerry mm-hmm. Jones. So I think that was part of it too. Um this is a proven football guy. I think it's going to work out um with the roster that he has. We'll see how far he can take it, but this is a, this is a coach that should be coaching in the NFL, and uh, good for him that he has the opportunity. Which leads us to Ryan on the Money Mitch effect here, uh, the Browns. Who the Browns are going to hire? And we talked about a couple different names. They got interviews lined up. I don't think they should be trying to rush the time the timeline like like the team kind of says that they're going to. But uh, there's a couple names that stand in mind, and I think if I had to pick one right now, Ryan, I would lean toward McDaniel's. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a problem necessarily with McDaniel's out the gate because of the pedigree and the name, but I just will say this, and specifically about Josh McDaniel's, everywhere he's been that did not involve Tom Brady did not look good, and that's going back to Sam Bradford, that's even going to Tim Tebow, and I think mm-hmm. he had Jay Cutler for a little bit. It's only looked good with Tom. Yeah. And and I think that on top of the – and I know this isn't a football thing, but how the Indianapolis situation was handled really bothered me. And it would just be really hard for me to – Believe that he's going to stay at the job and, if he accepts it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, so I just – I don't know. And I just – I think McD- I think we need to see more because I, I'm not doubting his offensive prowess at all. But when you got the best quarterback to, you know, have ever done it for the entirety of your time being there, you know, th- there's a lot to be said, especially when your results elsewhere have not been up to par. Yeah, the only other thing I would add is that 
you know, the Haslam's, which I don't, I'm not, I, I vented last week. I'm not getting into the Browns ownership issues right now. But they don't want an arranged marriage, so they say they want to have the president be in line with the coach, which makes sense. And if that's mm-hmm. the case, Ryan, the hot name and why the McDaniels theory makes sense is that the director of player personnel is Nick Casario. He would be the guy that comes over to be president along with J- Josh McDaniels as, as coach. They work together. They know each other. They actually both went to the same school, John Carroll in Cleveland. So they're local guys that I think would come as a tandem. That uh, that appeals to me. I know you're going to have to prove it without Tom Brady, but um, Mike Vrabel's proving that it can be done getting away from there and, and actually starting your own thing. So uh, he'd be the one. The enemy in Kansas City, that OC, would love to have him, as well as Stefanski, the Vikings guy that Deep Podesta wanted last year. Those would be the top three. Thought about Greg Roman, too. I just don't know that there's going to be the time frame to get him over if the Ravens are winning the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and if you would jump in division two, but, you know, I want to play car, you know, and I want somebody that's proven. And those four guys all have been OCs for a long time. They're not Freddie Kitchens running backs coach promoted within a year. No, not at all. And, you know, and I'm not trying to, I'm sure you don't mind if I rag on Freddie Kitchens. Go ahead. To, to, to be honest, I mean, when I was talking about adult in the room for Dallas, it's the Browns who really need an adult in the room. And I think any of those guys that you mentioned, bring number one discipline and, you know, some toughness. And I think um, Greg Roman. Yeah. In terms of the timeline, like, because you had mentioned earlier that you don't want the Browns to rush this, but also it's that timeline of what's the secret special spot of when this decision gets made because you don't want guys to have already picked their staffs and you know so now you're trying to fill coordinator roles and that's those pickings are slim so right you can lock this up the week the that super bowl week even i mean i don't think that's too outrageous and and yeah two of the four names i said really you know three of the four names only mcdaniels is done yet so I'm open-minded. Just don't deviate. Don't hire a, a, a defensive guy or someone we haven't heard of. Just you know, be straightforward with this. I think we should be okay. Uh, let's let's actually move now to talk about the wild card weekend because Ryan, I know you were pretty pretty amped about what happened with only one home team win, and it was the Texans that were down sixteen nothing in the second half. So this is uh, this was quite a week. I'd say I wouldn't say it's the craziest wild card weekend because we because we've lived through a lot of them. But this mm-hmm. is up there. Yeah, this is one of the best ones in, in recent years. And just getting into that Bills-Texans game, I mean, what a weird game. And you said it perfectly. We were texting back and forth. And one half, Josh Allen looks like John Elway and another half. I mean, it's, it's like, he Bortles. Like, like Bortles. It was play to play. I mean, it wasn't even half to half. It was. I blame a lot of what happened in that game on the Bills play calling and, and you know, McDermott and company, they just got really conservative. Mm-hmm. Allen well, takes because they knew who their quarterback was. But that, but he, but you know, here's the thing: he was making plays, and, and we can debate that he was making plays that even you know the aforementioned Blake Bortles was not making. Mm-hmm. So my question being, my other thing, it's not just even the quarterback, Ryan. How come Singletary wasn't getting the ball? I love Frank Gore as much as anybody. Yeah, but Singletary, you need I mean, more than on. carries. You know, you know when you're going to give Gore the ball, it's probably going to be up the middle, short run, maybe move the clock. That's what you do when you're trying to just you know run out the game. And 
And that really wasn't the case there. Uh, not that O'Brien coached a great game either because there were some things to be desired on his offensive side. That's, mm-hmm. you know, another game where he's not ready, where his team's not ready to play in the first half. And if they do that this week, they're going to get destroyed. So, Absolutely. Um, the lateral was hilarious. The end of the game was nuts. Uh, I thought, you know, the Bills fought. I just really, really hate, you know, even that kick return, you know, issue at the end, the start of the second half was hilarious. I'm glad they got that right running right. refs onto the field that I didn't even know existed. But uh, <laughs> but I really, really hate the penalty in overtime. I hate that call. I hate that it happened at a key juncture in the game. I'm not going to go as far as say it cost the Bills or screwed the Bills, but it's terrible. I hate that call. I hate the fact that the refs called it there. It wasn't a blindside block in my in my uh, estimation. I don't even think that, that rule should exist. Yeah, and... I'm I'm with you. It's just that was a bad call. There were a few questionable calls this weekend. There's been a few questionable, a lot of questionable calls this season. To be honest with you, but it was a bad call. I, I agree. Got to say though, Deshaun Watson special. I mean, he is. He is man. You know, he is. He has that ability to play well, even when you know at the end of games, even when he's not playing well throughout it. And listen, man, you get sacked seven times and you don't throw a pick seven times. And you're still averaging 10 yards to throw? If anything, the, we know what the man is made of. Two AFC South teams, by the way, just pointing that out, into the divisional round. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. Not the Colts. <laughs> Not the right. Colts. Seriously. You know, so, uh, and and just a note on the Bills. Disappointing ending of the year, obviously. They lose uh, a playoff game that's heartbroken. I actually went out to watch the Patriots-Titans game uh, after at a bar that was uh, a noted Bills bar. And it looks mm. like a apocalyptic war zone afterwards. There's people oh, just man. devastated, crying, and uh, and all the cheap beer was gone too. So they, you know, they <laughs> they oh, got rid cool. of all the cheap stuff as well. But uh, sorry for the Bills fans and, and and losing that one. I just think the next thing they got to do because I still think you progress with Allen. He he he's looked okay, not you know an amazing superstar, but you got to get him a number one. Because yeah, even early in that game, you know, even early in that game, they weren't you know catching passes they should have. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, hundred percent. You need a, He needs a number one. Tried to trade for Antonio Brown before he went crazy. <laughs> just, just yeah, I mean, it, wow. I don't know if they make the playoffs if Antonio Brown's on the roster because yeah. either Sean McDermott is going to kill him, or <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know, man. Yeah, pro- probably lot, not. Yeah, there's a lot of um, revisionist history that has to go into inserting Antonio Brown into any uh, scenario retroactively. <laughs> So before we uh, here on the Money Mitch Effect with Ryan Souls, before we weigh uh, whether or not we should put the nail on the coffin of the uh, Patriots dynasty, how about the job Mike Vrabel has done with that Tennessee Titans team? And they Man. go to Tannehill. He doesn't play great in this game, but they go to Tannehill. It completely transfixes the offense. Derrick Henry turns into a stud, like a consistent stud. We knew he had these big games, but he was a top two probably the best running back down the stretch for the last three weeks, four weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. And their defense, much aligned, really getting gashed all year, puts together their best game of the year against the Patriots in Foxborough. So props to Vrabel and this Titans team. I want to make sure they get credit before we just dive right into the Patriots dynasty. Yeah, I, I 100% want to give the, the Titans credit. And I'll start on offense, like you said, and i got to give the credit to, to Derrick Henry. I mean, putting Alabama running backs back on the map. You know, Mark Ingram was holding on by his fingers because Trent Richardson just ruined it for everyone. And, you know, Derrick Henry just putting them back on the map. 
Now we got Jacobs. Yeah, it's yeah, been a big Jacob. year. So, yeah, it's, it's been a big year resurgence for the Alabama running back. But on defense, I, I would have a pushback just based on the Patriots' lack of offensive weapons. We've seen the blueprint really since uh, Houston did it and they beat them. You double Edelman, you force Brady to find somebody else, and you live with the results. And it's worked. So I give variable credit for the defenses they've played going down the stretch to get to this point and for having the guts, you know, to make that quarterback switch to Tannehill. But we had seen the blueprint for how you were going to beat the Patriots on defense and you got Edelman out of the game and you forced James White to kill Harry. And I don't know what happened to Muhammad Sanu when he got traded, but that 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 trio of wide receivers wasn't going to beat you. No, it wasn't, and uh, it brings me to my point of what we do with the Patriots from here because the issues with this team, Ryan, are are bigger than, than Tom Brady being a 42-year-old quarterback that obviously isn't what he was but still can make some big throws. No one was getting separation. Huge drop by Edelman. The running game just wasn't there. I don't know. I mean, that's why I'm, you know, oddly enough, that's a weird way of me saying I'm not sure if this is going to be the, the end that we see of the Patriots. Mm-hmm. But they need players, man. I mean, they can't, you know, they can't hang on. I know they're well coached and, and have the infrastructure, but at, a, at the end of the day, you just need dudes that are that are at that high level in the NFL. Absolutely. And I ask you this: Do you think it's fair to say that Tom Brady is at a point to where he's good enough to have you competitive in any game, but he is no longer good enough to raise? the production of mediocre talent. Wow. Um, I think that's fair. I think what you're saying is he he's smart enough, well-versed enough to play with the talent around him. And, and in addition, you know, when you're down, he's going to be able to keep you in games. But, yeah, he's not going to take a bunch of scrubs and, and run to the AFC title game like 2006. I think that's no. fair. Yeah. And I think that's I think that has a lot to do with it. I think before I'm willing to write the Patriots off completely, I need to see if they can retool somehow, get a number one receiver, a true number one, get a a tight end. You know, no one's going to do what Gronkowski did, but get a tight end to at least open up the middle of the field. Now, I wouldn't necessarily strongly argue with you if you said the Patriots Super Bowl dynasty is over. But in terms of them competing in the playoffs and getting to the playoffs and being a tough out, you know, that like we say this is we make the comparison to the Spurs all the time. And we see how tough of an out the Spurs can be in the playoffs if they can make it even if they get in at forty one and forty one. It's fair. And and I think we can see this from New England as well. Jared Stidham or whoever else. I think the only thing that would lead Brady to leave the Patriots would be a money situation. And I'll just explain it. I don't think he actively wants to leave, but I think he would leave if they kind of just say, you know, we're not going to give you what what you what you're asking for. You know, what what you deem your market value is. I can see Belichick saying, you know, I've watched all the tape. This isn't what you're worth because I do think Kraft wants to keep him. He's loyal to him, and this could be. You know, this really could be the only schism in the whole in the whole situation between those three. Oh, absolutely. And I think if what you're saying is true, then you've got to rip the Band-Aid off completely because if Tom Brady is really 
not lying about what he says and said he's not going to take a hometown discount, then if you're Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and Tom Brady and his agent come and say, okay, we want two years at $80 million, that's $40 million a year. Nope. Yeah, well, sorry. What are you, you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Well, I just that's why I'm not sure, if, and I don't even know if calling Brady's bluff is the right way to do this, but okay, who would pay that? Maybe the Chargers to sell some tickets, maybe some other teams, um, but he's not going to contend on a lot of other teams. You know, That's the other thing, is mm-hmm. we want to get paid and, and, and compete, and I think he's still a starter, but it's like, what are we, what are we saying here? So uh, I'm not going to pass judgment on that. A lot to be decided there. There's going to be a lot to play out and we'll, we'll let the offseason we got the offseason for that uh, Ryan the Sunday games were just as exciting how about the Vikings going into New Orleans into the Superdome and knocking off the Saints Kirk Cousins has his moment gotta give it to him throw after throw down the stretch the last the second last one to Thielen the one to Rudolph Cousins had his game he finally wins a playoff game beats a top team and he does it to Drew Brees in dramatic fashion absolutely and he made just good decisions all throughout the game. It was good to see him come of age, so to speak, in a playoff game. I'm not ready to say this is going to be a trend. If he puts it together, you know, these next couple weeks and this team is really dangerous, you know, our opinions on Kirk Cousins could change really quickly. But the one thing that I don't want us to do is not mention how effective and how much of a bruiser Dalvin Cook was because he punished the Saints, and the Saints' run defense has been pretty decent. You know, New Orleans has had these situations before. This is another dramatic loss. They've had three straight. They've been losing on final plays of the game recently, the last two, Mm -hmm. both at home. They're there, and then for whatever reason, this team just doesn't click in the big moments. Defensively, they got let down. Uh, Cook was running all over them. Offensively, it was just some, some terrible turnovers at times and some some ill-advised plays, settling for field goals instead of touchdowns. Taysom Hill was a beast, though. That that guy has a future in this league. He I think was. we're seeing that, that there is definitely a place for him. But it came down to Cook setting up the run game. Minnesota called a great game uh, on both sides of the ball and Cousins making the throw. So now we're at a point where if Minnesota is a sixth seed, this is as good of a sixth seed as I can remember in recent in recent years. So yeah. it shows you the depth of the NFC. They, they go to San Francisco, another tall task, but... Mm-hmm. There's there's no better momentum to ride in San Francisco than just knocking off the Saints in New Orleans. So oh, at least 100%. At, least, at least get the vibes going. Uh, Ryan, the last game was just you know sad, obviously for you. The Eagles losing to the Seahawks. I don't know what would have happened if Wentz would have played. Obviously, the trajectory of the game goes completely different. It's like an alternate universe, like in Back to the Future. But mm-hmm. uh, bad, bad scenario with Wentz. You got to feel for him at this point because I don't really group the concussion with the other injuries. No. But it is the third straight year that he hasn't finished the season, and uh, unfortunate this time that he wasn't able to to go out uh, for his team at home. Yeah, and that really is the, that's all that can be said. I, and I, I'm glad you know we agree that you don't group the concussion with the other injuries because you know something like this, I, there's no way you can question Carson Wentz's toughness or his knack for getting himself hurt in that sort of situation when it's a concussion. I don't know what the result would have been um, had he played uh, and continued, honestly, because Carson Wentz can't play corner or safety against DK Metcalf. Uh, now, this is DK Metcalf that you guys drafted Arkea Whiteside over? Right, <laughs> oh. right. So that was the bigger problem to me. I heard Malcolm Jenkins, and I, you know, I appreciate his service, say that 
he'd like to be back, but not without the appropriate number. And I'm all about him getting his money. But I don't know if I want to see him back. Everybody in that secondary is slow. But like we, need, we yeah. need speed on defense, and we don't have it anywhere. Yeah, mass overhaul is what I think needs to be done mm-hmm. um, with that secondary. I and firmly I, believe that. And I'll say this, and I haven't heard anyone say this, but if you look at it, the whole model of having success while your quarterback is on a rookie deal, albeit Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, this team did. This organization did. You know, when they say, you know, you have the success while you get the quarterback on the low deal before you have to pay him, they got the Super Bowl. And I think now this is the point to where you're feeling the effects of you had to pay your quarterback. Your offensive line is getting old with Jason Peters, et cetera, having to replace him. Lane Johnson in and out of the lineup. It was good to see Miles Sanders come on late. But I think you're at a point now to where you cashed in on your rookie quarterback contract. And now it's about how the organization transitions into, you know, the hopefully the prime of Carson's career. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we all want to see him keep playing. Uh, McCown coming in at forty was was cool. It was a moment for him, um, and obviously, yeah, just, I, just, I, just for him, it wasn't yeah. for nobody else. Yeah, I tell you that that, that was his moment, and I applaud him. But that moment was not shared. Hey, hey, <laughs> uh, I'll just say this: I didn't like the Eagles' chances, even with Wentz playing, if the line was going to block like that and receivers that just cannot get open. No, I mean that's what we're. I mean. And look, I mean, you guys are practice squad guys. I say alternate universe because Seattle did what teams do when you have a lead and the quarterback goes out or a star player. They got super conservative. They took very few chances until the end of the game. Russ did exactly what he had to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he's just the leader, and he's going to come up in the big moments. And uh, Metcalf was unstoppable. How about Ole Miss receivers? We talked about Bama running backs. You got A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. Yeah, man. I mean, they're coming through, too. So got to give them some love. Yeah, definitely got to give them some love. Can we? Can I ask you a question about the Saints real quick, though? Yeah. Do you think um, we talked about the Patriots? Do you think this is the end of the quote unquote Saints chance at making this uh, a Super Bowl run? Like, you think it's over for this iteration? No, I'm not going to say okay. it's over. I think there's a lot of young talent on both sides of the ball, Drew Brees notwithstanding, mm-hmm. and uh, I just think that they're built a little better for the long term. It's one of those things, though, where they're going to have to figure out how to get over the hump and how to just, you know, shake the juju up a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, The running game, you know, losing Ingram really hurt. I feel like if Ingram plays yesterday on that team, they don't lose. So, or on Sunday, I should say. So, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what has to be done, but I think the Saints have a uh, a couple more cracks at it, I'll say. Uh, The divisional round, we're here. My favorite weekend to go full circle of the year. Uh, biggest point spread I want to point out as well is the game on Sunday between the Chiefs and the Texans. So that's what our most lopsided thing is to look at. That's the game I want to start with, Ryan, the early one on Sunday. It's going to be tough for the Texans, man. They cannot start slow. We talked about it. Kansas City is rounding into form, and they've got a little bit of a defense now. So I think this is, if you want a value bet for who can make a Super Bowl run, this would be the team I would look at. Absolutely. Did Tyron Matthew make the All-Pro team? He wasn't first team. Okay, okay, because he's he's had a really, really good season. And to your point about the Chiefs' defense, 
they've played really well as a unit with Steve Spagnuolo coming over. They've been able to get off the get after the quarterback. They've had a good amount of turnovers. I like them on defense, and like you said, the offense is really starting to get in the form now, too. Everybody's healthy. Tyreek Hill isn't just a burner. He's a route runner, and Patrick Mahomes, it seems like with how sensational Lamar Jackson has played, we haven't talked about Patrick Mahomes much. I'm going to be excited to see him in playoff action, and I tell you, the Texans better watch. Um, I forget what week it was, but when the Colts um, did what they did to the Chiefs, they better plan to have the, try to have the ball for 37, 38 minutes. That's a smart way to do it. Uh, yeah, Matthew was second team for the safety position. Okay. Um, okay. But still a great year for him. It, it, it's going to be, and I know everyone's looking ahead. That's the one thing I'd caution both Ravens and Chiefs fans, players, coaches. Take care of business this week. We want to see the game as much as anyone, but the Texans got Deshaun Watson. They've beaten Kansas City at Arrowhead earlier this year. But Kansas City looks like a different team now. I think they're starting to round into form, and, and this is going to be tough for a Texans team that I got to question. O'Brien on the road. How is this environment going to go for him in the playoffs? I'm still not sure. I like the Chiefs here. The other AFC game, the uh, the Saturday game, Ravens-Titans. I think the line in that one is about 10 points as well. That's a little high for me. I think Tennessee is going to keep this one close. I still like the Ravens to win. Ryan, Mark Ingram might not play. And that would be a huge loss for them if he's not out there. That would definitely be a huge loss for them uh, if he's not out there. And, you know, Lamar Jackson is a lot to deal with. But if you could sell out on the quarterback, if you don't have to worry about someone like Mark Ingram, that just makes the decision-making a lot easier for the defense. But I will say this. If the Ravens play man-to-man coverage with how good their corners are, I mean, between Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, and Marcus Peters, and you can put eight in the box and sell out against Derrick Henry, if the Ravens corners can hold up, I don't see how the Titans move the ball. Well, I think this is going to be a short game in terms of a lot of long possessions. Rabel was very crafty with his time management as well. Harbaugh's known for you know these long conservative drives as well. AJ Brown, though, I'm going to I'm going to point him out again. Yeah, he's going to he, he is a stud. Like this is already a top he ten receiver stud. in the league, and, and he's climbing. <laughs> he's still going. Yeah, whoever so, he lines up against is going to be a fun so, matchup to watch. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see man to man on that one. And Tannehill's legs is the other thing. I expect the Ravens to win, but I'm not seeing you know 10-14 as much as maybe a, a nice seven-point win at home. Okay. Um, I think this could be a game. With with Henry, the way he's running, I mean, that guy is probably the hardest player to tackle in the NFL. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you got the energy maybe and excitement to tackle him in the first quarter, but by the time the fourth quarter come around, you don't want to tackle him. That is the Saturday late game. The, uh, the Saturday early game is Vikings-Niners. Can't wait for that one. Niners at home in the playoffs. They had a remarkable year. Got the one seed. Let's see, though. We've seen teams go one and done in this in this situation before. I'm not expecting it here. I do think the Niners win this one. Uh, line at about seven. But watch the hot hand. Vikings are coming in. Maybe Cousins exercise that demon. This Man. wouldn't shock me. I'm just going to throw that out there. This wouldn't Man, shock I'm, me. I'm with you 100%. You and I are on the same page. Like I'm picking the 49ers to win, but this is the upset alert game to me. Oh, yeah. 100% the upset alert. And I know we saw, was it the 49ers and the Saints that got into that shootout uh, late in the year? Mm-hmm. But Emmanuel Sanders, George Kittle, 
those are great weapons, but the way Thielen is playing, Diggs is capable of having an insane game, and Dalvin Cook, this could be a shootout sort of game as well. So I'm really interested to see how this goes, and if Kirk Cousins plays like he did last week, look out. I mean, the start of this game is huge because the Niners get up big, and then the the pass rushers unleashed with Bosa and, and Buckner, and, and all of a sudden that you know they're coming after Cousins, and it could be a runaway. But if, if Cousins just starts chucking the ball deep, feeling it, hitting Thielen and Diggs and Rudolph, mm-hmm. they could maybe put up points. I mean, this is a fun one. This might be my favorite game to watch, honestly, all week. I actually am really looking forward to this one. Uh, right. And then and then my upset pick, I like the Seahawks, Ryan, to go to Lambeau and win the game. I like the Seahawks to keep it going. Haven't been sold on Green Bay all season. They've got some bad losses there. They almost coughed up home field in that game against the Lions. I am not betting against Russell Wilson, especially in the state of Wisconsin. I hear you. And to me, this is a game just that I wouldn't touch if I was betting just because I hear what you're saying 100% and not being sold on the Packers because I'm with you. Just I don't know if, if it was just the new offense. Or, or whatever, but it just hasn't looked in sync. It hasn't looked like it's been at its at top cylinder, top capacity yet, and I don't know when that's going to happen. But on the other side of the coin, the last four or five games of the season, Seattle had not looked good at all. And they kind of stumbled into the playoffs. They got that win against Philly, but they did not. I mean, Russell Wilson was not on that MVP tear that he was to start the year. So I, I think anything can really happen in this game, and I just I wouldn't touch it. I can't wait to see what Rodgers has at home. Uh, uh, he's getting older. We don't know how many runs he's going to have left before his first playoff game, what the Seahawks' run game is going to look like, how they're going to match up on defense. Fourth quarter late, I want to see Russell and Rodgers shooting it out. I, that's, that's what I want to see. Wait fourth uh, quarter, give each man the ball, see what happens. Absolutely. So that means Brian Schottenheimer can't screw it up by calling uh, a bunch of Marshawn Lynch yeah. left. Marshawn Lynch right. <laughs> just throw the ball from, you know, the 20. If you're the 20 out, just throw it into the end zone if you're going to do the Seahawks. 100%. Ryan, this was a blast. Appreciate you coming on talking football. We'll try to get one more in before the, uh, the Super Bowl wraps up. But uh, very fun weekend. Enjoying having you on the Money Mitch Effect. Appreciate you, man. I'm happy as always to be on. All right, huge thanks to Ryan Souls for coming on today's show. Final eight teams in football. And I've said it a few times. I love this weekend as much as any. You get the final eight teams, the quote-unquote best eight teams, all doing battle. We get four games, and then it's just going to start shrinking from there. Uh, but thanks again to Ryan. We'll see who the Browns hire. I'm really on pins and needles over this one, and hopefully they don't blow it. MMA Fighting's Jose Young's just going to join us next to discuss New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 14, which saw tons of title changes. We talked Naito Okada. We talked Jushin Thunder Liger's tribute show. The guy is 55, just finally hanging up the boots and is a great pioneer. Jericho was there as well. A lot of good wrestling to break down and what's next for New Japan Pro Wrestling as we get into 2020. As well as some MMA and UFC thoughts on Conor McGregor getting back into the octagon to fight Donald Cowboy Cerrone in just under two weeks. We'll discuss that as well. It's MMA Fighting's Jose Young's now on the Money Mitch Effect.
Right now, the Money Mitch Effect, as is an annual tradition, we're in the beginning of January. Jose Youngs is here from MMA Fighting to talk about a couple of things, most notably Wrestle Kingdom 14, a barn burner of a pay-per-view over two days. Jose, thanks for joining the show. Wow, what's up, man? I always know, beginning of January, we do the preview show, we do the post show, and I'm always happy to to mix things up from the 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 grind of MMA to talk some professional wrestling with you. God, and you know, and I have to say, I've been more and more of a fan through the years, probably through you directly. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom 14 was a two night show, and it was uh, truly unbelievable. Uh, I'm looking at this Jose, and I'm looking at the card and and everything that happened with it. Starting with night one, there's a lot to discuss. What were some of the early matches that really set the tone for the weekend? That maybe, you know, people like myself, I don't know everybody that's in these matches, but they come out with a lot of matches and a lot of participants. What were some of the early ones that really got the ground and got the show going? I mean, pretty you can pretty much point at any single one and you can really pull it off. I mean, the, the days kind of get blurred for me. So if I mistake day one between day and two, forgive me because I was on very little sleep those two days. Uh, but I mean, I know Juice Finn, which is Juice and Juice Robinson Finley, they, they, they won the tag belts. That's a pretty big deal considering Juice is one of like their foreign their foreign baby faces. The Japanese crowd has really gravitated towards him. Uh, John Moxley, formerly known as Dean Ambrose of the WWE, won the won back the U.S. title from uh, Lance Art or Lance Archer, who was also formerly in WWE. That was uh, Lance Archer really has really come into his own, especially in that m- most most recent G1. He was nothing special in WWE. He was, yeah. he was part of Suzuki Goon. Him and uh, I think it was uh, David Hart. Or, I can't not David. I can never remember. It's David Boy Smith's son. Uh, they really kind of formed a tag team of their own Suzuki Goon but after his tag team partner left for Impact Wrestling uh, he really made a name for himself in this most recent G1 is really one of the foreign menaces especially after when once Kenny Omega left last year the, the New Japan was really hurting for uh, an American or a Western uh, villain I should say because Jay White is of course from uh, the, New, the New Zealand part of the world right. they were really hurting for a, a Western heel and he really not only picked up the ball and ran with it like he's he it's, it's his it's his ball now uh, he's very different from Kenny Omega. He's a tall, powerful bruiser. He hits hard, but he can have great matches uh, with anyone. Like it's it's just it's a good, it's a it's an interesting dynamic when this large, tall, uh, looming American can have a can like stand opposite like Will Ospreay, who's like yeah. a junior champion. So that's something Kenny Omega never really had, and that's something and hasn't really had since uh, Doc Gallows. Now Luke Gallows left, uh, so he's kind of, he took the ball, but his match with John Moxley was pretty pretty violent i don't know if you've watched this match it was like a text yeah. death match it's basically Knockout just a hardcore finish. match <laughs> yeah and that he did a uh, death rider uh in the uh, in which is his finish i can't remember what it was called in the w- oh dirty d's in wwe uh in aw it's called the paradigm shift and in new japan pro wrestling it's called death rider he was basically just a, a ddt like an armed in ddt he did that from the apron through the lap through a table and i thought lance archer was legitimately knocked unconscious from it like it looked incredibly violent uh so big props to him i know john moxley won which is an interesting uh turn of events i didn't i I expected him to win but when we talk about day two that really caught me off guard uh and then hiromu who came back from us it was like his first match in like 50 500 plus days he's a junior heavyweight i don't know if you remember but he broke his neck against dragon lee on one of the u.s shows i did see that yeah i mean it's, i saw it once and never watched it again uh, yeah it's it was difficult to watch he was one of the most popular uh 
junior heavyweights in the world. He's part part of LIJ. He's the ticking time bomb. He had the the Daryl the cat uh, stuffed animal that he would carry around. Incredibly popular in both Western and Japanese audiences. Uh, and he came back, uh, I think, end of November, beginning of December, uh, and called out Will Ospreay, who at the, who for a long time people considered I am. There's no argument for me. He could be the wrestler of the year in 2019. Every single match yeah. he had was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the best of the super, best of the super juniors, the G1, like Will Ospreay, his 2019 was almost unparalleled on this planet. And he called out, uh, Hiromu called him out and dethroned him at Wrestle Kingdom. So outside of the top three matches, I would really say the matches that I've, I've just laid yeah. out were, or the top two matches, I say, the matches I just laid out. And, and, and again, like you could talk about like the, the, the Goto Kenta fight. A match was was unbelievable. Anytime Shingo does his thing with Lij, it's phenomenal. Uh, day one of Wrestle Kingdom was obviously overshadowed by day two, but if it was just day one, yeah. it was still a phenomenal card. It was another guy I want to shout out that I'm a big fan of is a Zack Saber Jr. Love watching yeah. him wrestle. Oh yeah, uh, as part of the Suzuki Gun. I mean, that's just that's just phenomenal stuff there. Um, and you mentioned something else I just want to touch on. No Kenny Omega this year. Nope. Obviously somebody that's made a name for himself and you'd like to see at a show like this. But it actually shows you how deep this roster and deep this card is because you mentioned it. This was one of the greatest weekends in wrestling history. And they didn't have Kenny Omega. So I mean not only did they not that. have Kenny, they didn't have the Young Bucks either. Mm. Uh, and those were the those three were like stalwarts of New Japan. Like they really helped uh, the pull the, the New Japan roster to the west to the Western uh, Hemisphere like they didn't have Chuck Taylor they didn't have Trent Beretta they didn't have a lot of guys that you not that you now find in AEW they didn't have Cody Rhodes but it it didn't seem to matter like everything that happened this week was like even if Kenny was there I don't know what else they could have done differently I don't know which match you would have been slotted in instead right. because everything was just perfect this weekend it was uh, I want to shout out you know we'll do it in reverse order the heavyweight the the heavyweight championship match Okada sure. and Ibushi great match Ibushi is continues to ascend Okada we know is is you know is the uh, the workhorse you know he's the bell cow so to speak he, he just churns out good matches and I think that I think you'd agree, Jose. That was probably the expected outcome in that one. That Okada. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult, man. It's like to, of like the to, the, yeah. the four the top two matches for those of you who don't or listening to this, like the 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 heavyweight championship and the intercontinental. We're gonna, we're gonna wrestle on day two. The two went the champion versus champion for all the belts. Any four of the names: Jay White, Naito, Okada, or Ibushi. Any single one of them winning the whole thing made sense and it's one of those rare instances where i obviously wanted naito to win the whole thing but if they wanted to pull the trigger and make okada the greatest wrestler of all time okay. and have him win anything wouldn't have been an issue when Ibushi, naito won the first match did you think that tipped the hand on the second in your opinion no i really didn't oh, wow. i honest to god didn't like i if ibushi had beaten okada and Ibushi had it would have been Ibushi Naito. It would it still would have made sense because those two have a long story okay. career. It's not the rivalry. It's not the eight year uh, story arc that Naito and Okada have had. But when Ibushi and Naito wrestle, like I have, like it feels like someone's gonna die or break their neck. <laughs> like they kill themselves. Uh, like they do the human lawn dart into the rope. They do the suplexes off the off the top. Like those two make magic. So. And if they wanted to just make the biggest heel in all of wrestling and they had Jay White oh, winning God. the whole thing, the place would have burned to the ground and they would have – Jay White would have been the biggest villain 
and probably one of the top five villains of the decade. Yeah. If he had, if they had pulled the trigger on that, so any four of those names could have won, and it would have made sense. So it's one of those rare instances where there was no wrong answer. Well, I, I went in reverse order for one reason. I agree with you. I think every combination was great. Uh, might be a hot take. Probably disagree. I'm just going to say my opinion. I thought Nido White was the best match of the weekend. It's uh, it, it. in terms of. It's again. It's like there's no real wrong answer. I know that's the thing, and uh, I know that I know, and I understand. I'm just looking at it as a wrestling match. Obviously, when the yeah, stakes yeah. are higher, it looks a little different. Love watching these two work. Felt like there's magic. There's an instant chemistry there, and I would just say, maybe the best way to put this is if you had a wrestling fan that wasn't following the storyline, yeah. just said watch these matches. I think I think they might lean towards this one. Yeah, you're not wrong. It was the, I think it was a good combination of character work and actual wrestling mm-hmm. ability. Well, you a heel. Clearly know He's who, such a great heel right. over there, man. You clearly know who's the villain. You clearly know who the baby face is. You clearly know their their characters, like the dastardly foreigner and then the, the anti-hero uh, Japanese superstar. Like Ibushi Okada was a great match, but it was really just two baby faces going out to see who is the best. Uh, but yeah, I don't disagree with you in terms of the total package. Naito White really was just character work they wanted to steal the show day one and yeah so I, I don't disagree with you but it's, it's really hard to pick certainly is jose young's money mitch effect uh night two before we get to you know the the meat of the the back end of the card got to take this time to talk about jushin thunder Liger. yeah i mean 55 years old which may be the craziest thing of all had his retirement you know his match goes out on his back does the honors as they say in, in losing that tag match I'm just going to put this into perspective, Jose, because we were kind of talking about this. This is a guy that's wrestled. Oh, we wrestled in, in Stu Hart's dungeon. He wrestled yeah. Macho Man Randy Savage. He wrestled Brian Pillman. That's senior, not junior. I mean, he's had classic matches dating back to Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrero in, in WCW. He still kept going. He was a pioneer for a lot of what we see, not just in New Japan for wrestling, but a lot of the high-flying Lucha Libre style as well came from what he did and to have the career that he had i'm glad that he was honored you know i'm glad that it was a a tribute to him and that enough people around the world got to see what he could do that spanned literally three four decades of wrestling i mean he's the greatest he's the greatest junior heavyweight for in the history of wrestling like you want cruiserweight junior heavyweight whatever you want to call i know Rey mysterio is very popular but i think even if you asked Rey Mysterio, he'll say Jushin Thunder Liger because without Jushin Thunder Liger, there really would be no cruiserweight division. I mean, he really stole the show in WCW when he would have his matches against Jericho and Eddie Guerrero and Pillman, like you said. Chris Benoit, who a lot of a lot of people miss out on that because they don't want to watch Chris Benoit for rightfully so. But and what people don't like, Jushin Thunder Liger was a phenomenal wrestler in inside the ring. He's one of the greatest I've ever seen. But what I'll not he doesn't get enough credit for is he would do anything. Like he'll do a fun comedy match. He'll do a high flying match. He'll do a, like a grappling match. Like he would go at PWG and he would just be in the most ludicrous, goofy <laughs> matches with some of the weirdest things. And he's like, "Yeah, let's do it." Like he was willing to do anything to put on a, sh- a good show. That's why, like, if you go on Twitter, hashtag Thank You Liger was trending, and all of these wrestlers were sharing their favorite stories of Liger and like. They're wrestlers that are wrestling now and wrestlers that retired 10 years ago sharing stories. And Liger would do anything. He wrestled the NXT. He wrestled against uh, – it's very rare for the WWE to ask for – like to borrow a wrestler. But Vince McMahon actually respects Jushin Thunder Liger enough that they asked New Japan. 
New Japan respects Liger enough to let him go, and he wrestled against uh, what's I can't Tyler remember Breeze. his name, Ty- his name? Tyler Breeze yeah. at NXT, which is like if you're gonna wrestle someone at NXT, why Tyler Breeze is beyond me. Mm-hmm. But Jushin Thunder Liger was like, yeah, let's do it, and then WWE sent him flowers for his uh, retirement ceremony the next day. So yeah, I don't know anyone in the world that has something negative to say about that man. He's 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 the like you hear legend and icon a lot. I think that's kind of overblown, but Jushin Thunder Liger is transcends icon status certainly does jose um the other matches before we get to the to the main event and, and some of the other highlights there you mentioned being a little shocked i think moxley beat juice robinson yeah. that was like was, was that one of the biggest shockers you'd say this weekend i would say i would say so especially because um aw and new japan never i, I know new japan didn't really want to work with aw because they were working with ring of honor they felt kind of slighted by the young bucks and kenny and cody uh, so they, they weren't really willing to do like uh, a partnership and trade trade wrestlers and stuff. So Moxley winning day one wasn't a surprise, but I thought for sure Juice would win the second the second night just because they didn't want an AEW superstar to basically put the U.S. title on hold, if you would, because while he's doing AEW, they can't really have uh, yeah. U.S. U.S. Well, title matches. I mean, you had Jericho, you had Jericho yeah. as well, and I kind of wanted to ask you to dive into this more. You know, no Young Bucks, no Kenny Omega, nope. but we had Jericho and Moxie, and in victorious ways, Jericho beating, you know, the the goat, so to speak, Tanahashi, yeah. the guy who's been around forever and put the company on his back, the John Cena of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they had a stipulation in that match, right, that Tanahashi would have gotten an AEW title shot if he won. Oh yeah, that's what that's what the stipulation was, and you said it like not only did Jericho, the AEW Heavyweight Champion of the World, not only did he win, he made Tanahashi tap out. Like that to me, like I thought Jericho could win. Like it wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't have surprised me if he won, just because they, they, he is a champion after all, and maybe they wanted to to have Tana because in Tanahashi won last year. It's very difficult for someone to win back to back big matches uh, at, in in Wrestle Kingdom in that fashion. But for Tanahashi to tap out was truly like you asked me, was that the most shocking thing of day of the of the weekend? I think Tanahashi basically giving up again. It was the most shocking thing I saw that weekend. So I don't know what they're going to do. They had, like you said, the GOAT, the ace, the the greatest uh, New Japan wrestler of all time, tap out to another promotions champion. Raises a lot of questions about the future of those two companies working together. I'll get that. I'll say that much. It, it really does. There's a lot. There's a lot to dissect. But they're great at the slow burn and the storyline uh, swerves. Uh, we also saw Goto. Goto beat Kent in the open weight division championship yep. for that belt. More on him, obviously, in a little bit. We saw Jay White beat Ibushi in the. Uh, I guess it'd be the third place match. That'd be the best way to put it. The, the consolation yeah. bracket there. All right, the double gold dash match for both belts. Heavyweight Intercontinental. Naito does it. He beats Okada. He caps what was, what, an eight-year storyline? So, yeah. I know this match meant a lot to you, so I'll just let you you know break down what you saw, how it was done, how Naito went back to doing things that he had to do to win in the character and the storyline moves that he hadn't done in a long time. This had to be everything you wanted in a New Japan Pro Wrestling main event, right? This was everything that I wanted in a story arc. It's a slow build, and from what I've heard through the grapevine, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> from uh, from people that that kind of that are in that have like an insider baseball to uh, this actual like storyline and match and booking and everything. This was always the plan. Even if Kenny Omega was here, uh, they would do gold. The, the double gold dash would still have happened between Okada and Naito. So I remember you and I did a preview show, uh, I think it was like, what, like two years, two years ago, ago when we talked about Naito and Okada 
And I was like, oh, man, Naito has to win. This is his big story arc, this and that. And then when he lost, I was really bummed out because I felt like they were cooling off the storyline. Like if he had won, it would have been the perfect moment. And then I feel like the next year, like remember when you and I talked about like we, we talked on Naito once and he was having a terrible year. He had a terrible G1. He, he didn't really win and Jericho beat him. And it was like, wow, they've really cooled on this character. But then like we, like his New Japan always does, they do the next year is all like rebuilding him. Is basically his his rocky story, and that's pretty much what happened this year. It couldn't have worked out any better. Not only did he beat Okada in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom, which he hadn't done, uh, he got the main event slot. He did it in day two in the largest gathering of fans ever to watch a new a Wrestle Kingdom event. Uh, I had a lot of friends there, like uh, Mark, Casey, Esther, that all worked at MMA Fighting. They were all there, and Casey and Esther have been covering MMA and boxing for probably about 11, 12 years. They've been in the Dublin arenas when Connor fights. They've been in the arenas when Nate Diaz knocked out Connor. They've been in the Matt, the, the John Jones, Daniel Cormier arenas. And they said Naito winning was the loudest they've ever heard in arena. And it's also like the, like the most people they've ever experienced mm. in an arena get behind one man. And to watch it through, like, I stayed up late with my girlfriend to watch it. She was passed out. And I was, like, <laughs> jumping up and down, like, fist pumping, trying to be quiet and everything. It was so awesome to watch. And I, it couldn't have worked out any better. That, like, two years ago, I was really disappointed. I thought they cooled off on the character. It just goes to show you New Japan knows what they're doing. Because this mo- him losing two years ago made this one that much better. Uh, and the fact that Okada... Uh, at the end, uh, he did the LIJ pose with him and, and saluted him while he was being carried off. I think it is, of all the double champs we've seen in wrestling, I think this was the the best win. This is the best title win I've ever seen in wrestling history. Uh, well, it's up there. I'd say so there's three. There's this one, uh, Daniel Bryan winning yeah. uh, at WrestleMania 30. And then I can't forget uh, Mankind beating Triple uh, A or The Rock when Stone Cold comes out to that massive pop oh, yeah. in the middle of the Monday Night Wars. And then I'll throw Kofi Kingston winning at WrestleMania uh, this most recent time. But like those four, Naito winning the two belts at once after eight years of hard work and he finally hit the Stardust Press like you said. That was his old finishing move before he, he, he became the LIJ leader. Now he does the Destino. The fact that he pulled that out of his back pocket, the move that he couldn't finish Okada with or he couldn't even hit it last the two years ago him trying to do that is the reason he kept losing it was phenomenal storytelling and I think it's the greatest championship win I've ever seen in the history of wrestling it's high praise and I remember you said on this podcast two years ago that you were that you were bummed but you understood it it made sense it left the door open they had a lot of work to get there but they did last thing on New Japan Pro Wrestling one thing that I think you weren't happy about, Jose, was yeah, the angle. Yeah, I know what you're going to say, and I was real disappointed. <laughs> Kenta comes out. You wanted Naito to have his moment. You wanted him to just thank the crowd, bask in the glory. Wrestling doesn't really work that way because Kenta, our old friend from uh, NXT Japan a while back, has returned healthy, takes out Naito, and establishes himself as a, uh, a primetime heel for 2020. Not only primetime heel, I think he's the biggest heel in wrestling right now. Um, Ooh. It okay. is uh, like I get why they did it because if they want to heal, attacking Naito and punting him in the chest in his great. moment of glory that he worked so hard for, like I get it, I get it. It really builds him as a as like just the worst worst human being. 
I wish they did it the next day at New Year's Dash because that's really what New Year's Dash is for is to set up the new storylines. But I get why they did it. It's just disappointing. But then I was thinking about it like the next day. I'm like, this inner anger I have at them doing it is exactly what they want. They want us <laughs> fans to be mad at Kenta and them. Like, So I get it because Guido is the booker of New Japan. And Guido's also Jay White's quote-unquote manager in the Bullet Club. So I get it. They want to get Bullet Club back to being the dastardly villains they are. Kenta punts Naito in the chest. And I don't know if – and I don't think you re- – I, I, maybe you didn't miss this or not, but when he came back, when he re-debuted at NXT, he came back as a babyface. And he do you remember Shibata when he when – because he, he can't wrestle anymore because no, he had I that like, brain injury. So Shibata took Kenta under his wing when he came back to New Japan. And it was like Shibata was like his manager and his like sensei and Kenta was like the student. And then Kenta – turns i can't remember who he turns on but he joins the bullet club and then shibata comes out and just loses his mind on ken starts to beat him up and then kenta basically just beats up this wrestler with a brain injury and sits on top so when kenta after day after night to win and he sat down cross-legged with the two belts i that picture is going to be burned in every wrestling fan's mind for the rest of their careers that is shibata's pose so he did Shibata's pose on top of Naito. Shibata's one of the most beloved wrestlers in the world, is forced to retire for a brain injury. Kenta beats up wow. his, his old sensei and then the uses heel. his pose on Naito after stealing Naito's moment. I get it. It's infuriating, but I get what they did. Well, you saw uh, him walking up the ramp when the fan said, I don't respect you anymore, and he just said, I don't care. Yeah. he's it's a, perfect. Like, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Naito, like, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's infuriating, but I get it. Well, last thing on New Japan Pro Wrestling was a great two nights, Wrestle Kingdom 14. You mentioned the New Year's Dash the next night. What other storylines do we have to look forward to as we get ready for 2020? Uh, so Tanahashi and Ibushi teamed up, and they're going to take on Finn Juice as the Golden Aces for the New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, uh, Heavyweight Tag Team Championships of the World. I think that's a phenomenal uh, arc. Both wrestlers are really banged up, so the fact that they're in a tag team match, they don't really need to take the punishment of a singles match. Uh, is good for the bodies and uh, it's babyface versus babyface. I always enjoy that in a rest in a wrestling match where it's just be- best team wins. Suzuki came out and confronted John Moxley, so I fully expect someone to die and when they have that blow off oh, match because they're two of the fact that uh, Suzuki wasn't in the G1 and he wasn't in Wrestle Kingdom basically to heal his body. So the fact that we have a fully healthy Suzuki wrestling a fully healthy John Moxley, like someone is dying. So those are the two big storylines. And obviously you have Naito Kenta. I assume Kenta's going to kick Jay White out of the Bullet Club and then Jay White's going to become like maybe a foreign babyface for a little while. I'm not quite sure. That's just my assumption. Uh, and then Okada is going, I can't remember who he's going to wrestle right now. But he's basically going to have like Naito's rep, uh, year last year where he's not really in the heavyweight scene. He's just kind of in these really good matches, maybe challenges for the Intercontinental Championship later on. Yeah. Uh, and then Shingo and uh, Goto is going to be just out of control violence so uh yeah those are the those are all the storylines that we fully i fully recommend people uh tune in should be a fun year can't wait uh jose last thing you know got to talk a little ufc before i let you go Uh on the money mitch effect 246 is less than two weeks away conor mcgregor returns to the octagon taking on cowboy cerrone we're getting that fight we're getting it at a uh, higher weight division than we expected and they're going to fight at welterweight What's your early insight on that fight, breaking it down, and how the matchup favors both guys? 
if I'm a betting man, I put all of my money on Conor McGregor down throwing. He is absolutely atrocious against southpaws. He's been cutting down to lightweight for the last better for the last year. Now he's going back up to welterweight against Conor McGregor. He's been bulking up for the whole year. I do expect Conor to win. I expect. I don't. I can't imagine he goes five rounds. I would honestly say Conor McGregor is inside two. I want him to face Jorge. Conor doesn't really want to fight Jorge anymore because he felt like the fans lost out on two rounds. He basically said Jorge is on a business business with me, uh, so he doesn't want to be Jorge uh, if Jorge's not the team. It, it's not he's, he, Conor doesn't view Jorge as the actual BMF champion of the world because the referee stopped that match. So, but he names Kamara Usman. I don't really like that fight at all. I think Kamara wow. handles Conor pretty yep. easily. Uh, he's clearly bigger and clearly a better wrestler, but. Uh, if I'm Connor and I want a money fight and make a lot of money, I just fight Corey Mazidal or I fight Justin Gaethje on the co-main event of Habib Tony, which is, makes all the sense in the world if you want to make a lot of money. I just don't think Brooklyn or New York will allow Connor to fight in that state anytime soon. Gaethje's the fight. I, I want to see that so bad, and uh, just stylistically too. You're dead on there. That's the fight I want to see. Uh, but he has to have it. It's a must win for uh, it's a must win for Connor. So I expect him to bounce well, back. Well, if he loses, if he, if Connor does lose, a lot of people expect him to retire. I think if he loses, he does the rubber match with Nate, considering they're both coming off losses. Mm-hmm. And then if he loses to Nate, then he retires. But if he beats, he loses to Cerrone, and then he beats Nate, I fully expect he'll be right back in the mix. Probably. Yeah. Connor's not going anywhere. Time it's going anywhere anytime soon, but. He has to win in order to stay relevant because uh, he, he wants that title again. He just it, a lot and a lot of things have to happen after uh, his fight against Cerrone, uh, and not even just his fights like Tyron Woodley and Leon Edwards and Colby Covington, Mazdal, Kamaru, Gaethje, Justin Poirier. Like Connor versus Cowboy is really important for a lot of fights, not outside of our own. So uh, it's. It's the most important fight of the early of the first quarter of 2020. I sure is. Can't wait for that. Jose Young's catch up at MMAfighting.com. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, breaking down McGregor Cerrone, and of course, another year and another great all time Wrestle Kingdom. Thanks, man. Huge thanks to both Ryan Souls and Jose Youngs for appearing on today's show. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A reminder that you can find every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect and it comes right up. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21 and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for posts, comments, and uh, a lot of other episodes as well. Just want to also point out that uh, I got to give some love to the Columbus Blue Jackets who continue to win. Uh, they are only a couple points on the wild card, sweeping both L.A. teams. you love to see it. And uh, a special pick, because we're not going to be on until after we recap the title game, LSU-Clemson. I am going to watch it begrudgingly, even though I think Ohio State should be in there. But no, seriously, LSU, five-and-a-half-point favorites. I think they're going to cover this game and win. And I think Joe Burrow is going to put the cap, put the feather in the cap of what could be the greatest college football season we've ever seen. That's what's at stake. Trevor Lawrence, though, hasn't lost, so if he wins... He's one year closer to what could be the greatest career in college football history because he has to come back for his junior year. The next two number one picks most likely doing battle. I like Burrow and the Tigers, the LSU Tigers, and Coach Hill. Go Tigers to win that game. Thank you for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. I'm Mitch Michaels. Until next time, make sure you always keep enjoying sports.